Hey, good morning. We are uh, going to be starting a new series uh, this morning, so thanks for, for joining us, whether uh, you get to come out for our in-person worship or you're at home and, and getting to follow along there. But this morning we're starting a new ser- series on the book of Romans, and so really excited for us to spend time in God's Word together. But let's pray first, and then we'll, we'll jump in together. God, we thank you for the opportunity to spend time in your Word. Uh, we thank you. Uh, that you have preserved it for us, that you have revealed yourself in this way. We thank you for the glory uh, of what Romans teaches, of how it points us to our need for you and what you've done for us and, and what it means for us. And so we just pray that you would lead and guide us in all truth, that you would be our teacher, that you would be the one that illuminates our hearts and our minds, that we would see you more clearly as we spend time in your word. Uh, we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I don't know how many of you have seen a... Uh, a TED Talk. They, they've become really popular as of late. Uh, they're these really well done, uh, usually like seven to ten minute talks where someone, a uh, really great communicator, will will uh, communicate some big idea in a very succinct talk. And they call them the TED Talks and they've become very popular. Uh, a lot of times um, the person will talk about their area of expertise and they'll, they'll give you uh, just something uh, that maybe you hadn't considered or really help educate you in a short amount of time, or maybe it's with um, just kind of improvement in your life. And, and so these things have become really well received and it's grown to be this great big thing and tons of TED Talks are done. And as I was thinking about just that uh, popularity of those talks and the way they've grown, it's not surprising in that in our world we have an $11 billion industry uh, of self-help. Uh, And what I mean by that is is that encompasses a lot of things, but how we grow and how we learn and uh, healthy habits and uh, how to do leadership well and how to do all sorts of different things. This encompasses quite a lot. But the but the thing I was thinking about this week is, is that such the case? Because uh, oftentimes we we do want to grow and and to learn and and to see new things. and, And it's part of who we are as people. But if I really stop and think about why. That's the case, why there's so much in that arena that we're seeking to learn and grow. And we're so driven to these different self-help books, the TED Talks, the things that are there is there's a whole lot behind. Why? I think part of that is all of us, especially as we get older, we recognize life is fleeting we have a limited amount of time. I think there's there's more deep psychological things going on in the sense of uh, we want to prove our worth and we want to show uh, what we're good at. We want to continue to grow and to, to change and, and uh, just get better in different ways. And we wrestle with all these sorts of things. And it's it's true for all of us. And it doesn't even matter what we've accomplished in a lot of ways. Maybe you're really well accomplished in what you've done or your career or wherever you are, we can always wrestle, and I think we often are always wrestling with these things, these big ideas. Uh, I just watched uh, during the quarantine, as, as I know uh, a lot of my friends did as we talked about it, there was a 10-part documentary on Michael Jordan in his last season, championship season with the Chicago Bulls. If you don't know Michael Jordan, he's considered by most to be the greatest basketball player that ever played. And one of the things I was struck with is you saw this kind of behind the scenes look at at Michael Jordan's life was his uh, desire, his determination, how hard he worked, how serious he was about being the very best, but also um, how deeply flawed he was in a lot of ways. 
uh, the way he treated people and the way he talked to his teammates and some of the things that came back in terms of he wasn't always the most well-liked person because of how intense he was. But also as I watched that documentary, which Michael Jordan was a big part of, and they interviewed him quite about quite a bit during it was how he was kind of almost pleading his case, telling people about himself and and what he had done and and what it looked like. And here is a man that's considered to be the very best at what he did, but yet he still seems to be pleading his case, still wanting to improve, still wanting to kind of control the narrative. And so all of those things, as I was thinking about it this week, as we prepare to go into Romans, is all of us are, are looking for answers. All of us are looking for what is the answer to all these questions and uh, knowing that we're flawed, knowing that we don't have it all together, knowing all the things that we wrestle and struggle with. Uh, and so uh, when we come to that, what Romans is going to say, the Apostle Paul is going to write us the answer to all of this is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. It has the power to change everything. It has the power to completely transform our lives and change the way we see things, the way we interact with the world, our relationship with God. All of these things come together in what Jesus has done for us. And as we look at the first section of Romans, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17 this morning. And as we do, we get to verse 16. It's it's really the summary statement of this book. Because we're going to spend several months walking through Romans. But in verse 16, it says this. Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he says it's the power of God. And so as God inspires Paul to write this letter to encourage the church in Rome, to remind them of who they are in Jesus and what Jesus has done, he says that it's the power of God. And we're going to talk about that this morning. How the gospel is the power of God. And as Paul unfolds this for us and he tells us, I think what he's written here, what God has inspired Paul to write here in his word is the greatest theological treatise ever written. It tells us uh, how sinful we are, how broken and needy and struggling and and frustrated we can be and and, and gives us reasons why and why we're looking for validation and, and wanting more out of life. But then it also tells us how that we can be at peace in this life and the next, how we can have a relationship with God, how we love others and how we relate to our world. And it's going to unfold all of these things for us and how they hold together in the truth of what God has done for us in Jesus, the glorious good news of the gospel. And so to be honest, I've been hesitant for us to study uh, through the book of Romans on Sunday mornings together here at Coda. Uh, In 10 years, I've gone back to thinking about doing it. And the only thing that's held me from it is is nothing in Romans. I love this book. I love that we're going to get to spend time in God's word. But just that it is so vast. There's so much. There's so much truth and application and the gloriousness of what it is. And so it's a a big undertaking. But I'm excited for us to spend time in, in Romans together. And so this morning, as we start with that summary statement, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I want us just to look at it this way. First, what is the gospel? What is it? He says it's the power of God, but I want us to really hone in on what does it mean when we say gospel? We say that all the time here. We want to make sure we're clear on that. Secondly, why is it the power of God? And lastly, how do we respond? So what is it? 
Why is it the power of God and how do we respond as we come to this glorious gospel? So let's start with what is it? When we talk about the gospel, we say here at Coda all the time that we are a gospel centered church, that we want to grow in gospel fluency. We want the gospel to be the center of the bullseye and everything we do and to see everything through that lens. And so we say this also often gospel, 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 gospel. We say it through everything. And so right here at the beginning, Paul says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And he uses that right from the beginning, set apart for the gospel. And he says the gospel of God and the word he uses there the the what we would um, transpose into English, the evangel. So we get our word evangelism. And, and this word really means good tidings or good news. The good news of God, of what God has done, this evangel. And so he says it's the good news that God's been working since the beginning of time. Look at what he says there in verse two. He says, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so I want us just to pause there for a second and think about what he's saying. This good news that God has been working since the beginning of time. He says that in verse three concerning his son or in verse two. But then in verse three, he says uh, concerning his son, Jesus, who's descended for David, according to the flesh, that he came into the world. Fully human uh, becomes a man and he's fully God. Because he says, and he was declared to be the son of God and power according to the spirit of holiness and by his resurrection. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, comes into creation. It's long been promised by God since the very beginning of time. And it centers around this idea that Jesus is raised from the dead, literally physically raised from the dead. He says that there in verse four. And we have a pretty good start of what this good news is, that the God of the universe has sent into the world his only begotten son, who is fully God and fully man. And he's uh, come and he's lived this life and he's been raised from the dead. And so he gives us a pretty good start, pretty good understanding of what the gospel is at the beginning, that it centers around who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus and the resurrection. And then after that, Paul will do his initial greetings. To all those in Rome and who are loved and called by God, he, he starts to talk about the to the church in Rome. And then in verses eight down through about uh, verse 14, he tells them, I am so eager to come to you. He's not been to Rome. He's heard of what the gospel is doing there and how they are growing as a church. He can't wait to come. And he says, I want to come and encourage you and strengthen you with the gifts that I have, the spiritual gifts that I have. He also, we know uh, from history and some background here in the book that he wants to go to them because it will be a jumping off point for him to go even further uh, to spread the gospel to places that have not yet heard it. And so Paul's very excited to go and to be there with these people in Rome and to encourage them. But then I want you to look at verse 15, 16 and 17, because he comes back to kind of defining for us what the gospel is. And so verse 15, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. It is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
And so he he tells them that it's this righteousness of God that has come into the world, that you can be right with God. Righteousness is a a right standing. Things are are set uh, to rights. They are as they should be. And he says there's this righteousness available and it comes through this gospel because it's the power of salvation to set us right with God. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. The power of salvation to everyone who believes. And so it's through faith that we get this righteousness with God. And that's because it's what Jesus has done for us, not what we do. And so Romans is going to expound on this in great detail. It's going to tell us very clearly why we can't do it. But the only righteousness that is available to us is by faith, right? You see that in verse 17. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith that is written. The righteous shall live by faith. It's faith in the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And that's the only way that it works. Now, Romans, what we're going to do as we work our way through is Paul's going to go into great detail as why that's the case. In chapter, the rest of chapter one and chapter two and the first half of chapter three, he's going to say it has to be what God has done for us in Jesus because no one is righteous. No, not one. None of us has perfectly kept the law. None of us can approach a holy, perfect God based on what we do. But it has to be the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And so when we get to the heart of the gospel, what he's saying is it's what God has done. It's the good news, what God has completed and finished in Jesus for us. And we say that a lot here, but it's important that we always come back to this because everything else collapses if we get this wrong. It's probably the most common misconception I hear when I talk to people about faith, about what they believe, about what they perceive following Jesus or being a Christian to be. So often it's looked at like this, almost in our self-help lens. That Jesus came and he's he's doing uh, he's giving us information and he's showing us how to live and he's in, which he is. He is showing us exactly what it looks like to live in relationship with God. But then we miss it by saying he's giving this this information that we take and we try our very best to do to the best of our ability so that God accepts me. Right? What that does is that places us right at the center of it. And it's all based on what we do rather than what God has done. And friends, that is not good news if we see the gospel that way. There's nothing good news about that. It's not the good news of God if God comes and says, here's the things you have to do in order to be accepted by me. Here's the things that you have to live up to. And the reason it wouldn't be good news, and Paul's going to explain this in great detail, is that none of us could ever do it. No, not one is righteous. None of us has upheld or kept the law. And so the good news here is what Jesus has done for us. And so if we were to summarize what we're talking about when we say, what is the gospel? For us to understand why it's the power of God, we have to understand what it is. And so what it is, is it's the good news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins and fully accomplished salvation for us. Right? The righteousness shall live by faith, faith in what he has done. He rescues us from the judgment of sin and brings us into fellowship with him. And then through his finished work, he's going to restore creation in which we can enjoy everlasting life and the fullness of joy with him forever. We can be good with God because of what Jesus has done. 
And our part is to cling to him in faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's by faith that we're saved in what Jesus has done. Now, the second thing, though, I want us to consider, though, is why that's the power. Why he says that's the power of God. He doesn't say it's a power or it's powerful. He says it is the power. And so I want us to think about why it's the power of God for salvation. And the first thing I I just want to remind you of is that we were created to be in a relationship with God. And because of our sin, our, our rebellion against him, our ignoring him in the world that he created, that relationship has been broken. And it is the deepest need of our soul. We were created first and foremost to be in a relationship with God above all else. And so the power of God for salvation is God has done for us. What answers our deepest need of our life? It is power as we reflect on this and we see how he's done this and what it means for us. And we begin to apply it to our life and we begin to see it more clearly. And it changes our our entire life. It changes our heart and our mind and our orientation It gives us a new lens in which to see everything, removing us from the center and putting God at the center of where he's supposed to be in it. And it begins to work everything out and fit everything in its right place. Makes sense of all of who you are and what you're made for and what it looks like. And all of this holds together in Jesus and what he's done. It is the most powerful message. It is the most powerful truth there is in all of creation. And so I want us to think about what exactly that looks like. It's kind of big picture. Why it's the power of God. Now, I'm going to say a few things here that are so very important. But as we go through Romans, we're going to see more and more fully. We're going to fill this out even more. So this is certainly not comprehensive as we begin in Romans today. But these are absolutely of vital importance. And so the first thing we think about why it's the power of God, that verse 16 and 17 It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes the righteous shall live by faith that it's we can be saved by faith in what God has done. And it brings us into this relationship that we are created for. We can have the righteousness of God applied to us by what Jesus has done. And so the first thing we say is the power of God, because it reconciles us to a holy, righteous God. Doing for us in Jesus, God is doing for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And it's our deepest need. Can't overstate that. The deepest need that you and I have that we were made for is being in a right relationship with God. We were made first and foremost to love God and then to love people. And apart from God entering in and doing for us what we could never do for ourselves, we cannot have this right relationship with God. There will always be this barrier. And so it takes God coming to deal with our sin for us. And so Jesus comes and does that. He comes and we say, if you've grown up around the church or you've heard it, you've probably heard it said so many times. Jesus died for our sins. And that is true. It's absolutely true. Jesus died for our sins. But then he also came and lived the perfect life to give us to impute to us, to count to to our lives, his perfect life. 
It's not just that he took our sins and and gave us a clean slate and then said, now try your best to hold on to that. He gives us his perfect righteousness is what Paul's talking about here in verse 17. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. The righteous shall live by faith. You are made righteous by your faith in what Jesus has done. And that is the only way that we can be reconciled to a holy and perfect God. See, so often we want to make it the self-help, self-improvement. How do I do it? Give me some rules. Give me some laws. What do I do? No, Jesus has already done it for you. And it's the only way that we can be reconciled to God. And so when we see that, the power and to change us into this right relationship with God is by what Jesus has done. But then the second thing, when we start to come to that, when we start to understand the truth of the gospel, it changes our orientation. It turns everything kind of upside down. Instead of me and what I do and how I earn my worth and the things that I take and I add to my life and I seek to do to the best of my ability and self-help and self-improvement and all these things and I earn my way to God. It's what God has done for me. It's not uh, sometimes we, we sum it up or we, we kind of put it into these simple terms. It's, it's not what we do, but what God has done. And when we see that and we see that we're saved and we're loved and we're accepted and we're brought into this, not anything in you, but by God's grace to you in Jesus, that you are secure despite your mess and your struggle and the things that you're wrestling with. That Jesus is the very center that's done everything that you can't do for you. It changes your orientation. You're no longer the center of how this happens, but God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. It's all concerning his son who was descended of David, who was declared God in power by the resurrection. He's the one that's done all of it. And Paul's pointing to Jesus and saying, no, the glorious good news of the gospel, the power of the gospel centers around what Jesus has done. And so when we start to see that. And we start to take that into our life and we turn it over and we wrestle with that and we see the implications of that. It's it's radically humbling. It humbles us to our core. That it's not about us, that it's not what we can do, that it's not just some information that we apply to our life, but it's that God had to come and do this for us. Jesus has done for me what I could never do for myself. Every bit of blessing, of love, of acceptance, my identity, who I now am, is completely by grace and I am the recipient all the way through of it. He did it all. By grace you have been saved. It's not your doing, but the gift of God, Paul writes in Ephesians. And so it's the same thing he's, he's pointing us to here. For it is the righteousness of God Revealed from faith for faith. It's your faith and what he's done. And he's done every bit of it. And so here's the profound power of this in your life as you see and recognize and grow in this. It turns everything on its head. You are the recipient of grace. Uh, I have a friend that likes, likes to say frequently. In our salvation, the only thing that we bring is our sin. God does it all. Every bit of it along the way. And when we begin to see that, it changes you. By grace, you have been saved and it turns it upside down. And it's all what God has done and nothing else. 
It's all his doing. And so as we begin to recognize the power that it changes us from the center of our lives to God being the center of our lives, this is really, really good news. And I want you to consider why. Why we say this is the gospel. Good tidings, good news. You were never meant to be the center of your life. God was always meant to be the center of your life. And the more that you wrestle with and see and come to the the good news of the gospel of what God has done for you in Jesus, the more it removes you from the center and places him on his rightful place as the center of your life. And so it completely changes your orientation. But then the third thing I want you to see in verse five here, Paul says through him talking about Jesus through him, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all nations. When I am removed from the center of, of my life, when I see that it's all what God has done, he's not just giving me new information for me to work out uh, my salvation by what I do, but it's what he's done for me. It removes me for the center. I'm, I'm a recipient of grace. It's all these things together. And with that now comes a a humility and a a changed life that I'm not my own, but I belong to God. And it's by what he's done for me. This greatest uh, expression of humility and love. uh, We've talked about this the last couple of weeks in in Philippians chapter two, that he laid down his life for us, that he's come to serve us. This is now who we are. And when we begin to turn this over and see that I am bought with a price and I'm not my own and is what God has done for me. This love is so profound that he laid down his life for me and all I am in my creation and now in my recreation, my redemption as he brings me back into this relationship and the gospel comes to bear on it. It changes my affections. His great love for me begins to change the things that I love and I care about. Now, that's because the Holy Spirit comes into my life. And when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in and it unites you with Christ and it begins to remake you in his image. And it literally changes your affection. And so Paul talks here about how through him we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. We say this often, that discipleship as we come to faith. And then we grow in our relationship with Jesus in every area of our life that we're growing in obedience. And I want you to think about the power of what God is doing in and through you and how wonderful this is. As the gospel comes to bear in the application of it and your understanding of it and you're growing in it, he's changing you from one degree of glory to another. He's giving you a new heart and a new mind and a new way of seeing things. And you now want to seek to honor and obey him in all things because of the great love with which he's loved you. We're not obeying so that we can be saved. Our obedience is evidence that we understand who we now are in Jesus and what he's done for us. And he's changing us from one degree of glory to another. Our works don't save us, but they're evidence that we know him. And the wonderful Good news of this is that as your life changes and as you seek to obey him in all these things, as we experience more fully who we are in Jesus and we begin to live out of that, we're aligning with the way that we were made, the way God intended us to love him and to love others. And it's actually better. You begin to live in the ways that you were created to live. Everything begins to align. Through the power of of who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus. 
It's like you've been connected to the power source. You've you've taken it out of it's not me. I think of like a, a plug. I've been trying to do it myself and I take it out and you plug into the source of all love and logic and creation and the one who has done every bit of it in the grace of God. And you've been humbled to see that you can't do it, but he can. And it changes everything. And then you go, I want my life to be about him. I want it to be about glorifying who God is. I want it to be loving God and loving people because of what Jesus has done for me. This is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. It is the answer of the deepest need of your soul and what you're looking for. And this glorious letter that Paul writes that God inspires is going to open this up in great detail about why that's the case and why Jesus has to do it and why that's the glorious good news and why it gives us security not only now but in the future shows us how to truly love others and it all holds together in this good news that God loves us and has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. So let's end here. How do we respond? The gospel is the greatest news ever that is the power to change you, to change our world. How do we respond as we come to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And the first thing I would say is if you're struggling with how you fit and what your relationship with God looks like and what that means. If you haven't confessed and come to God and cling to him in faith, because he says here it is the righteous shall live by faith. God's righteousness is given to you when you place your faith in him. The first thing I would say is repent and believe. The glorious good news of the gospel. That the God of the universe loves you and has done for you what you could never do for yourself. And your part is to admit that and then to come to him humbly and he will invade your life and he will remake it in ways that you cannot imagine because the gospel is the power of God for salvation. But the second thing, if you are a believer and you've put your faith in Jesus and you are clinging to him and your righteousness, you would say, is not in what I do, but what Jesus has done. You would live by faith. It is only through Jesus' perfect life and atoning death that you are more sinful than you ever could uh, dare express, but you are more loved and accepted than you could ever hope. If that's you and you understand that and and you're still wrestling with that and, and applying it to every area of your life, I would just remind you to not be ashamed of the gospel. Paul says here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He knows that this message he brings is radically humbling to tell people you cannot do this yourself. You're more sinful than you ever imagined. Oftentimes when we hear that, it's uh, radically humbling and it can be offensive But he says, yes, it's humbling. And yes, it can be offensive to us believing we're the center of the world and wanting to make it all about me. But it's also the key in which unlocks the power of God for salvation. So don't be ashamed of the gospel. And what that looks like is with great humility and boldness. It's a a fine line between humility and boldness. We're pointing to the one who's done it. It's not uh, our good works or who we are, but we're pointing to Jesus and what he's done. We want to be bold in our proclamation of who God is and what he's done. 
And so do not be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God. But then the last thing I would say is how we respond is that we respond with great patience and humility and kindness and and loving towards those around us. Because as we grow in the power of the gospel, as we see that it's all God's doing and not our own, that's what Jesus has done for us. We're reminded over and over that we are saved by grace. We are people who are grace bought people. We are the recipient of what God has done for us. It's nothing in us, but it's completely God's grace and love and mercy towards us. And so when we're tempted to tell or share or talk about the gospel with other people and we want to seek to do so by manipulation or fear or guilt or shame or you should do this or this is what it looks like. That's not the way God has been with us. And so we seek to love people in the way that God's loved us. We extend the grace that we have received. And as you do, as you live out of grace, as people of grace, you show who God is and what he's like. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so please be reminded, you can't save anyone. That is God's work. We are called to be faithful to the glorious good news of what God has done for us in Jesus. And so as we continue to work our way through Romans, I pray that that would be our our heart and all of this, that we want to be growing in our understanding of who God is and what he's done and how we love others in that same way. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious good news. We thank you that it's centered on what you have done for us and your great love for us. I pray that we would see that afresh every day applying that to every single part of our lives as we walk uh, after you. I pray that we would lovingly show others what it means to be resting in the finished work of Jesus and our identity in you. We thank you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.